the passion of our Lord according to St. John, the 19th chapter. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered his headquarters again and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and he sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation at the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. And so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. The passion of our Lord continued according to St. John, the 19th chapter, verses 16b through 42. And so they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. And so they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. 
So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on the hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and they broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. And so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with, with the spices, as is the custom or the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. This is the passion of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text that I have selected for this evening's message as we observe Good Friday is from Romans chapter 3. These are the words of St. Paul. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the, sh through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. This is our text. Please be seated. In the name of Jesus Christ, our crucified Lord and Savior. A pastor in the Pacific Northwest tells of a dramatization of Christ's trial and crucifixion by the youth group at his church where he serves. The youth director is playing the role of Jesus, and the youth are the jeering mob. 
Crucify him! Crucify him! The mob shouts as they drag the youth director into the backyard of the church and hang him on an improvised cross. The pastor stands to the side of the assembly to see how things are going in the drama. The youth are now hushed as Christ hangs there and addresses those reviling him. Even though you are doing these cruel things towards me, I love and I forgive you. It is then that the pastor notices an eight-year-old girl standing in the front of the group, transfigured by the scene. Real tears are streaming down her face. The pastor, reflecting on the girl, says, I was envious of her. For us, this is just a performance. For her, it is the real thing. She is there. Are you and I really there tonight? Standing at the foot of the cross of our dying Savior? Or have we observed so many Good Fridays and heard the Passion account so many times that we are detached observers? My prayer is that as we sing the hymns and meditate upon the scriptures this evening, as we reflect upon our Savior's death, that we will truly be there. That we will be there in our thought and in our mind. That we'll truly be there at the foot of the cross, beholding our Savior's dying love for us and being renewed in our faith. On this Good Friday, we remember that Christ atoned for our sins. St. Paul writes in our text, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. The sacrifice of atonement goes all the way back to the Old Testament times. The people of God are like sheep who have gone astray. Their sin separates them from God. And so on the annual day of atonement, Yom Kippur, one priest and two goats are selected. The priest slaughters one of the goats. And he takes the goat's blood, and he takes that blood, and he sprinkles the blood on the, on the Ark of the Covenant. And then that priest takes the blood of that same goat, and he goes out into the temple precinct, precincts where the people are standing, and he sprinkles the blood on the people that are awaiting them. It's a sign of their sins being cleansed. The priest then takes the second goat, lays his hands on the goat, thereby signifying that the sins of the people of God are being transferred from them to the goat. And he takes this goat outside the city limits and into the desert where the goat is left to wander and die. Signifying that the people's sins are far removed from their midst and remembered no longer by their God. The sacrifice of the one goat, the transfer of the sins onto the other goat, signal to the people that their gracious and loving God remembers their sin no more. They are at one with the Lord because he is gracious to them. 
The death of these goats is not that which atones for the sins of the people. The writer to the Hebrew says, In these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. These goats and lambs and bulls and other animals that are sacrificed not only remind the people of their sin, but more importantly, those sacrifices direct their eyes to the ultimate goat, the human scapegoat who will shed his blood so that they and all people may receive God's mercy and forgiveness, atonement. Of course, the ultimate goat is none other than Jesus, the Son of God. Isaiah writes of the Messiah, though he had done no violence, and nor was there any deceit in his mouth, he was led like a lamb or a goat to slaughter. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And as a result, the writer to the Hebrews says, we have been made holy. Yes, we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Christ once for all. Like one of the goats on the Day of Atonement, Jesus is led outside the city limits where he is crucified. He dies and he is buried. There on Golgotha, our sins are laid upon Jesus. Our trespasses are those that pierce his hands, his feet, as nails are driven into his body and as a spear is pierced into his side, into his heart. Our sins are that which exile the Son of God from his Father, for he shouts, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? By the shedding of his blood, by being rejected by his Father for our sins, our sins are atoned for. God is now at one with us. The writer to the Hebrew says, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. These words of the writer of the Hebrews brings us to another key thought in our sermon text. For you see, on this Good Friday, we remember that Christ redeemed us. St. Paul writes, All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. After World War I, 900 German soldiers who had violated international law were summoned to appear before the world court. Their condemnation was sure. In a dramatic move, however, the former crown prince of Germany volunteered to be their substitute. His offer was noble, it was well meant, but his offer was quite empty. For you see, he offered to offer up himself, both on behalf of the accusations made against these men, and he also offered himself up as the punishment, that he'd be punished for these men. 
As I said, as noble as this act was, it was impractical. For although he was royalty, he did not have in his person the value of 900 men. Because of our sin, there is a price, there is a ransom to be paid, paid to God. Unlike the former crown prince of Germany, there is a prince who in himself has the value of all the people of this world. And that prince who hangs on Calvary's cross takes upon himself the judgment of God for the sins of the entire human race. This prince of peace, Jesus Christ, is not implicated in any evil, for there is no deceit in his mouth. There is no sin of his own for which he is being punished. No, God's Son is crucified and judged and condemned by his heavenly Father for our sin. As the eternal sinless Son of God, he stands in our place and he pays the full ransom demanded by his righteous Father for our trespasses and sins. And from that cross, he cries, it is finished. It is finished. And then he commends his spirit into his Father's hands. How do we know that Jesus' life for ours is an acceptable ransom to his heavenly Father? How do we know that we are redeemed? Well, three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. And that is his father's way of saying, ransom paid in full. That is why St. Paul can say in our text, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The punishment that brought us peace with God was laid upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. A hymn writer expresses this truth. He actually brings all of these thoughts together when he pens, Our redemption was purchased by him as heaven's crown prince. In perfect love he dies. For me he dies. For me, O all atoning sacrifice, I cling by faith to thee. When we contemplate what Jesus Christ has done for us, as the scapegoat, and as the one who paid our ransom. How is it possible for us to be detached or bored by our dying Savior? On this Good Friday, we also remember that Christ makes it possible for our Heavenly Father to justify us. Most people of the world believe something that is false. They collectively believe it, and it's false. They imagine that they are by nature good and moral people. That's false. Oh, they may be virtuous, and for that we're thankful, for it leads to a civil society, and we all know that we need a more civil society. But the real problem with this lie that they believe is this. 
They think that they can live such virtuous lives that if there is a God, they will be acceptable to him and thereby granted the right to live forever. That is, assuming there is a life after death. Such people delude themselves in so many ways. But St. Paul makes it very clear. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned. Yes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The truth is that everyone is sinful from the moment of conception and fails to meet God's standard of holiness. None of us can justify ourselves by our good deeds. Instead, all people stand under God's condemnation and judgment. What we truly deserve is to be sentenced to eternal damnation in hell. That's what we all deserve. But that is why we call this day Good Friday. It's Good Friday because we know that on that first Good Friday, Jesus Christ by his death makes it possible for his heavenly Father to declare us justified, to pronounce us holy in his sight, to be acquitted of all the charges that otherwise would damn us. St. Paul announces we are justified, we're declared holy in the sight of God freely by the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. as people who have been baptized in Jesus' name and pronounced to be forgiven of our sins and renewed in our faith by God's word and holy meal, we can believe and we can be certain that we are included in this declaration. And on that last day, whatever that last day may be for us, when we stand before God's judgment seat, we can do so with confidence that God will not condemn us. He will not condemn us to eternal perdition. No, as our judge, God will declare, you are acquitted of all of your sin. My son has justified you by his life and his death and his resurrection. There is no condemnation for those who have who have receive the righteousness of my son. You are received, yes, you are received into my eternal kingdom by my grace alone. So welcome, welcome to your eternal home. When we take these words to heart, how can we stand at the foot of the cross as a mere spectator? For on that cross hangs God's son, the one who justifies us, the one who makes us holy in the sight of our heavenly judge. Rubel Shelley tells the story of a young man named Jason. Jason is a 17-year-old high school honor student. He is close to his mother and his wheelchair-bound father and his younger brother, Christian, Jason is an experienced swimmer who loves to scuba dive. As Rubel Shelley tells the story, Jason left home on a Tuesday morning to explore a 
spring an underwater cave near his home in west central Florida. Jason's plan was to be home in time to celebrate his mother's birthday. While scuba diving, Jason became lost in the cave. And then in his panic, he apparently got wedged in a narrow passageway. When he realized that he was trapped, he shed his yellow metal air tank and unsheathed his diver's knife. And with the tank as a tablet and the knife as a pen, he carved one last message to his family. I love you, Mom, Dad, and Christian. And then Jason ran out of air, and he drowned. A dying message is not something that we can be indifferent to. God's final words to us are carved on a Roman cross. They are blood red. They scream to be heard. And they say, I love you. And with these words of God's Son, I love you, echoing in our ears and stirring our heart with emotion, we cannot remain mere spectators before the cross of our dying Savior. In the mournful melody of the Negro spiritual, Were You There?, we are asked, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Sing along with me if you want. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, oh, oh. Sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Yes, Lord, we are there. We're at the foot of the cross. We're at the foot of your cross, and we behold your undying love for us, even as you die for our sins. And so we pray, O Jesus Christ, thou crucified, who hast for our offenses died, grant that we may ever ponder thy wounds, thy cross, thy bitter death, both here below and yonder. Amen.